Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to church, everybody. We're in a series called A Weary World Rejoices. And it is a weary world. And it's been a weary year. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little bit weary. There's lots of things to feel weary about. Maybe you're feeling weary about having to wear a mask. Maybe you're weary about having to stay home. Maybe you're weary about, for some of us, you're weary from being alone. Like, you're literally alone. Like, you're not around many people. For others of us, you're weary for the people you're around. And you can't wait uh, until things are a little bit more opened up so you can get out there. Others of you, you're weary of feeling sick, you're weary of praying for the sick, you're weary of questions, you're weary of drama, you're weary of wondering what is next. And so it's definitely a timely time to talk about weariness. You know, one of the things we're going to find today that we need to explore is that in the midst of weariness, for those who will follow Jesus, there is a rest in the midst of a fight. There's a rest but it's in the midst of a fight. And so often we're trying to get away from all kind of, uh, we're, we're wishing we could, when I finally get to a place where I'm just kind of beachside, when I finally don't have to deal with anything, when I'm finally at the place where nothing's going wrong, then I'll finally be able to rest. And I think that, that those are wonderful times. Those are great places, but that's really not the Christian life, just so we're aware. We're gonna pull that apart from God's word today. It really is true. It's a weary world that needs to rejoice. It's not the ones that are no longer weary. It's the ones that are in the midst of their weariness. They're going to have to do the rejoicing. So like you, I've gotten some Christmas cards. Thank you to everybody who's been sending Christmas cards to my family. But I noticed um, a theme. It's not the first year I've noticed this. Y'all did very well, by the way. I'm not nitpicking your card. Um, But often, many of them, like this one says, peace and love. Um, This one says, merry and bright. You'll see words like wonderful and peace and joy and stuff like that. And that's all really great because it represents part of the Christmas story. It represents the peace part. It represents the good part, the part with the shepherds and the angel and, you know, where the angel appears and says, hey, shepherds, just you, you know, you need to go see this foretold Messiah that is finally born Abraham knew about it. This is the one through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And there's a celebration, and there's a victory, and there's like, yes, let's go celebrate this. But it's just not the only part of the story. And so I don't know if this would weird you out. If, if, if I sent you a Christmas card that said, slaughter, or murder, or rage, that is also part of the Christmas story, believe it or not. Like, that's also happening at the same time. And so I want us to explore maybe parts that we skip over or we miss, because nobody wants to celebrate the rage part, and yet that is part of the story. We want to we skip to the end and get to the everything is great, but most of the, you know, the stories and the Netflix and the movies that you watch, if you just skip to the end and you miss all the tension, you miss the bulk of the story, right? Like, it's great that ultimately the one ring ends up in the fires of Mount Doom, but there's like three movies in between there. There's a whole lot of rage and a whole lot of murder and a whole lot of bad, and we have to know that that's a part of the story that we're in, it's part of the story that is being told 
about us. So there's always, there is a peace, but there's also a war. And it's in the peace and the war that often comes weariness. And really the best thing that we can do is not be surprised by it. Listen to what the Apostle Peter wrote. He said, 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Slap somebody near you at least with a wave of air and tell them, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. It's not strange if you're going through fiery trials. It may not feel comfortable, but it's definitely not strange. And so we've got the, the shepherds, Luke 2.20. This is the one everybody loves. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they'd heard and seen just as they've been shown. Man, they're glorifying God. They're praising. This is the best part. But listen to the other part of the Christmas story. Matthew 2, we're going to pick it up at 13. The Magi have just left. Now when they'd gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Uh-oh. So Joseph got up and he took the child and his mother while it was still night. In the middle of the night, dude, they don't even get to wait till morning. They're getting out of there now. And left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that, there, that he had been tricked by the Magi, the Magi were warned, and so they went back another direction, even though initially they told Herod they were there to see the, the newborn king. They learned from God that it was a bad idea to tell him where they found him. So when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. Uh-oh. That's part of the Christmas story, too. Very enraged. And he sent and slew all the male children who were born in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which, had been de- which he had determined from the Magi. So you got Herod. And guys, this is a super true villain. Okay, If you were going to write a fiction story and you wanted to invent a villain, your villain wouldn't be as bad probably as Herod was. Okay, this is like a mix between the Godfather and Darth Vader. Okay, this is like a mafia guy. That's one of the reasons he had the position that he had was because even though he was a real bad guy, he was at least effective. And he was so bad, he killed three of his spouses and two of his sons. This guy one time invited all of the noblemen of Jerusalem. Right before he was going to die, he, in, he invited them into a main building in Jerusalem and said, he locked all the doors, told all the guards, as soon as I pass away, now I want you to kill all these guys. Because I don't want anybody getting more, I want everyone to celebrate my death by dying themselves. Talk about a psychopath. Well, thankfully they didn't do it. But it still tells you the kind of guy that this guy is. And so it, it, does, it makes sense that, yeah, he's responsible for the slaughter of the Bethlehem babies. Because he didn't like the idea that someone was showing up claiming to be a king because he thought he was king. And so now there's this prophetically told and cosmically told sign in the sky and these, these magi come. And like, where's the king? And you'll notice that these magi, they didn't show up. It's really important. They didn't show up and they didn't say, hey, where's the one who will be our personal savior? Now, Jesus is a personal savior. It's absolutely one of the things that he does. But that's not what they said. They said, where's the one who was born king? And see, that's the part that our world trips over. Our world likes Christmas. And they'll even, even those who don't believe in God, even those who don't like Christianity necessarily, they don't mind most of the time if you stick to the personal Savior part. What they stumble over, what even sometimes enrages, is the king bit. 
the bit where Jesus says, yeah, king. I'm here to be a king, not just a savior. I'm here to be a, a king. And we see this. It's not only like that's how Christianity goes. Okay, so yes, there is there's peace, but there's a fight. And there is calm, but there is a war. And we have to get this down in our spirit. We have to accept this. We have to acclimate it to how we're thinking about this. Because it's not just in how it tends to go. It's not just just seen in Herod and the shepherds. Jesus himself taught this. Like this is exactly what he said. Okay, Matthew 11, 28. Everyone's familiar with this. You, You probably love this verse. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Man, I like that. Sounds good. Who doesn't want that? Sounds great. But that's the same Jesus who said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, the cross is still an instrument of torture and death. And that's why there's a fight. That's why there's still a struggle. That's why there's still tension. Yes, it is peace, but it's also a fight. It comes with a fight, and we've got to get this down. We've got to accept it. There's things, when, when you become a Christian, there's things that God, I mean, honestly, man, he kind of fixes. Like, there's just things that instantly start to come together and go better. But if we're going to be honest, there's also parts that just get wrecked. There's parts that go significantly different because now, and it's not, it's not worse, it's just that it's still there. Okay? It's not like you're worse off. You're way better off. You're forgiven now. You're going to spend eternity in heaven forever with God now, yes. But you're still, now you're related differently to the world. Now the world's going to react differently to you because now you're showing up and you're talking about the one who was born king. And people don't like a king they didn't pick because everybody picked themselves for king or queen. And so that's why there's still a fight. There's still a tension. There's built-in tensions to how this goes. So I want to give you three fights today. Three fights that you and I are in no matter what you do about it, okay? You can't change the fact that you're in this fight as long as you're alive. And I want to point out, it's not just because some will be quick to point out, well, isn't this just kind of like the enemy? Isn't there like, isn't the devil part of this? The devil is part of it, okay? He makes it worse. He makes it heavier, he and his minions, But I also don't want to talk just about the enemy because this is built into the fabric of what it means to walk with God. It's not just the enemy. It's there. The tension is a part of it. So number one, the fight against rejection on Jesus' account. This is a real thing. Jesus was persecuted. We will get rejected on Jesus' account. That is part of the fight. Are you experiencing any rejection lately? Anybody not like all your ideas? Anybody not want to submit to Jesus or, or even put up with you suggesting that anyone submits to Jesus? Well, let's not be surprised because check it out. Not only was Jesus the child persecuted, but one of the first scenes we see is his family fleeing in the middle of the night for their lives away to Egypt. And let's not forget that if you are Jesus's thing, he calls you his family. What did he say in Luke 8, 21? My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and obey it. That's Jesus' family. And so if you're Jesus' family, you might find yourself from time to time feeling either needing to or feeling like you need to flee in the middle of the night because the world don't like any 
anybody being king that they didn't decide upon. I mean, you can't get more explicit than this. This is Paul talking to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.2. These are really letters. We call them the pastoral letters, but they're really like mentoring letters. They're, they're Paul telling Timothy, hey, this is how it is. Just so you know, this is how it goes. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So I'm just like, God, why is it all going hard? <laughs> what? It makes us weaker when we don't accept that a fight is built in. It is a fight. It is peace, but it's also war. That is the person you've chosen to follow. Jesus said, hey, baby, listen. He said it just like that. Hey, baby, listen, real deep voice. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. No servant is greater than his master. If they had problems with me and you start to act like me or say things that I said, they're going to have problems with you. And I don't want to give anyone a complex because I feel like people get weird about this. I don't want you to start thinking, you know, you're just like always, be careful the, the narrative that you embrace, okay? If you're always persecuted, if you're like, man, everywhere I go, I'm persecuted, my guess is you're doing something wrong because, <laughs> honey, we're living in, we're still in America right now and it's still a good century. Like you're, you're doing, you should be doing better than always persecuted, but if you're never persecuted, if nobody ever takes any issue with anything that you're thinking or thinking about doing, it may be because to them your faith is so irrelevant that it doesn't even make any waves in a world that rejects your king. Yikes. Here's number two. The fight to love people with the right motives. The fight to love people, here's a fight that you're going to have. It's the fight to love people with right motives. Here's what happens so often. When you first begin to come to Christ or learn about Christ or, or give your life to Christ, you start to realize, oh my gosh, there's things I need to change. There's stuff that needs to shift. There's behaviors. There's ways I do things that Jesus is like, nope. And you can look around. You can see other people and you're like, oh, okay, that's how you do that. All right. A danger is we begin to put it on autopilot. You can kind of just get trained like Pavlov's dog after a while. You can just, we just what we do. This is how you respond, but you're not connecting it to the heart anymore. You're no longer asking questions about motives. You're just doing the right response. But we're not having a dialogue with the master himself and saying, am I doing this for the right reason? Am I, am I becoming calloused to things that used to bother me? Let me ask you that question. Are there things that earlier on, if you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, are there things that used to bother you that no longer bother you? That might be a bad sign, just so you know. That is the thing we should resist. In other words, the world is working very hard to get away from a pricked conscience. We need to do the opposite of that. When we, our conscience is pricked, we need to lean into it. Oh, that's on purpose. That's supposed to be there. I need to have a right heart. I need not just for people to see my exterior obedience. I need to be working because the Holy Spirit doesn't just deal with our exteriors. He's looking at the heart, man. You ever notice that? Like, you just think the wrong thing sometimes and spiritually, ah, no. Eh. Here's the problem. If you ignore that long enough, he gets quieter and quieter. He barely hears anymore at all. Because he's a sensitive gentleman. He's very sensitive. I don't know why he's so sensitive sometimes. I'm like, you're, 
You're so sensitive, Holy Spirit. He's like, yes, I am. I'm like a dove. I'm sensitive. You want to be very careful that you don't scare me off with just ignoring obedience. So we need to ask questions like, are we sure that I should even want this thing, that I'm, that I'm pleading with God? You know, there's a real virtue in praying over a long period of time. Like the scriptures demonstrate that. Sometimes we just have to have an Isaac stan- stamina and pray for 20 years because it's something that God wants us to keep praying for. But there's other times we need to ask the question, am I sure that I'm wanting the right thing here? Like that's just a real category that we need to probe. Am I sure? Like, do I want this at all costs? If God doesn't want this for me, do I, do I want it even then? And why, why? Why would I want that then? If the one who has all wisdom and sees all ends says bad for me, am I really dumb enough to keep wanting it? Or do I just need to check myself and check my heart and fight for right motives and crawl my way back instead of resisting it? Am I sure? Lord, give me a right heart so I don't throw it on autopilot. Here's the third fight, the fight against your flesh. There's a part of your heart that the Bible calls the flesh. See, if you, when you become a Christ follower, you get a new nature. Now there's kind of two of you. There's old you that still loves the old ways, but there's new you, and these two are fighting. And the new you like, wants to see God and wants to know his ways and wants to do his stuff. And old you wants to run the other way. And this fight is never ending as long as you and I are alive. And we've got this this old man that is the flesh. And we just have to ask the question from time to time, Lord, before I just kind of maybe made excuses for this or ignored this, but help me have the courage to lean in and fight it. And this is where we need other people. This is why you need not just to come and be here, but you need to have conversations about, hey, can I tell you what's bothering my soul? You want to know, like, it's an old question, but I've just found it so useful. I've been using it more over the latter years. How's your soul? Because it's such a different question than everything else we ask. The other questions are, hey, how are you? Hey, what's going on? Which is so vague. But I really want to know, How's your soul? How is it between you and the master? Is it, and, I, and, and, and just so you know, okay, you won't lose any points if you do this, but if I ask you that question ever and you're like, well, you know, it could always be better. Dadoy, you think? Of course. Who couldn't say that except Jesus himself? Paul the apostle could say, well, I'm sure it could be better. Of course, it could be better, but I'm asking, how are you feeling about it? How are you feeling about the, is it, distant or is it close or where is it is anything bugging you lately is there anything you're wrestling with and the more vulnerable we are with one another the stronger a people the more difference we make as a community because every place we're hiding evil every place we're trying to keep it out of sight yo just like in my life it's true in your life it's still there it's still robbing blessing it's still bringing curse So we might as well just talk about it. At least we can both be together in it. Okay, listen, I make mistakes all the time, every day. Can I just let you know that in case for some reason you think it's not cool to admit that? It is cool to admit that. Super cool. Dude, it's so cool. So just go ahead and admit it. Just let's all talk about it. I'm wrestling with this thing. Would you pray for me and be with me? None of us are 
holy except apart from Jesus Christ. So let's just all admit it. There's a Native American Christian who said this. I think it gives us a good image. In my heart, there is an arrowhead with three points to it. If I do wrong, the arrowhead turns and cuts me. If I do too much wrong, I wear out the points and I don't feel it quite so much. But when the pain is gone, watch out. We got to watch out for calluses. We got to watch out for places that used to bug us but no longer do. If there's places that you're calloused up, can I just encourage you, the only, the only smart thing to do is ask for forgiveness right now. Just repent right now. doesn't mean you have to have a great performance after this. It just means when I agree with God, I access his power. When I ignore him, when I pretend there's nothing going on, then I'm limiting his power in my direction. But when I just say, God, is true, and, and quite honestly, it's probably going to keep going like this, Jesus, unless you just really help me right now, unless you get a hold of me, unless you get some accountability in my life, it's probably going to keep right on going that same way. Verse, Galatians 5.17, it's important that we understand this fight. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite. The sinful nature is the flesh, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So on one level, we say, this is a fact of life. I'm going to sin. These two are fighting. I can't get away from that. I'm never going to graduate to, oh, they don't sin anymore. Nope, it's always going to be a wrestling match. And you shouldn't be surprised when, why am I still dealing with this? Why am I still tempted by this? Because sin, according to the Bible, dwells in your members themselves. Okay? It's going to be really good when you shed that body you're in. You're not going to have to worry about it again. Baby, if you've trusted Christ, you're going to be in heaven, and that sinful nature will never bother you again. But while you're in it, Sorry to say, you still get the sinful nature that goes with it. So on one level, we have to accept it. That's just the way it is. All right. And on another level, we need to mourn it. And this is part of it. It's not just resisting it. It's mourning it. It's saying, Lord, I'm really sad about this. Because yes, your blood has covered me and you've forgiven me, and yet it still was a grievous thing that required the pure, innocent lamb, Jesus Christ, to die to cover it. And that was free, but it wasn't cheap. Listen to what Paul says. I believe he gives us this perfect picture of how our response towards sin should be. This is Romans 7, 24. Oh, what a miserable person that I am. If we were to stop there, it'd be pretty hopeless. But let's not go too past fast it. What a miserable, he's grieving his own sin. He's talking about the principle of evil is still within me. I do what I don't want to do. And what I want to do, I don't end up doing. And he says, oh, it's so, this is horrible. And what he's saying is something we need to agree with. You know, can I just tell you? It, it, it's important to foster the attitude. I think my sin sucks. Ah, oh, I don't like this. This hurts me because it hurts the Holy Spirit. That's why he flees. I don't want him to be hurt. So there is that part that we, that we do, and that's war. But there's the second half of that verse. And this is where, see, see, it's not that easy. You can't just have one or the other. The legalist wants just that. But then we move on to the second part of the verse. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And that life really means body. He's actually talking about his physical body. 
Verse 25, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God. He goes from like morning to yippee, starts jumping up and down. Hallelujah, Jesus has forgiven me. Hallelujah, he's the one who delivers me, not me. And so that tension, it's war and it's peace. And it's at the same time, I am disappointed in myself, yes. There's this old way of talking, man. The old saints know about it. Where you talk about there's a sense in which I hate my old life. I hate that traitor. And it doesn't mean you don't love yourself in some kind of like psychotic way. It just means I recognize that that was evil and worthy of the cross. And at the same time, I jump into Jesus' arms. And I enjoy him celebrating me because the cross really was enough. And his blood really was enough. And I really am. I'm not, there's like nothing clinging to me in his sight. It's all gone. It's all completely covered and forgiven. Which brings us to the new peace. Here's the new peace. First one, you get new peace of conscience. Yes, you have war, but you also have peace, and it's a peace of conscience, Romans 8.1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. That means I look at my sin, and I say, yeah, I, I mean, that's, I'm disappointed in that. I'm never going to like it. I'm never going to be like, oh, wow. Like, it's really there. And yet, when I look at my past, and I look at my flaws, and I look at my sin, I look at it through the lens of a God who loves me and says, yeah, Done. It is finished, paid in full. That stuff is as far away from you as the east is from the west. That thing was thrown into the ocean of forgetfulness, and you never have to deal with it again. You never have to feel like it's making you less in my sight. You are completely, have the obedience of Jesus all over you in the sight of the Father. I don't know when y'all are going to say amen. You wait until 2022? Hallelujah. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the forever promise that you and I can stand on. Here's an old hymn. It's a stanza from His Be the Victor's Name. Now listen. What though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. Jehovah findeth none. The accuser's going to roar. He's going to say, look what you did. Look what you did. Yeah, he's going to roar. And I'm going to say, you're not wrong devil, and there's a lot worse than where that came from. But Jehovah findeth none. Jehovah has decided that's all covered, man. I now regard you as 100% obedient. And do you see, this is how Jesus Christ, dude, his blood is the solution. And, and this is the solution. This is the peace that no one else has. You can't find this anywhere else. His blood is the solution for guilt. You can try to ignore guilt you can try to do good things to make up for it, but the only real way to ever get rid of it is by putting it where it belongs on the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. He took your guilt onto the cross of Calvary, and it was crucified with him there. So every time you walk in guilt, man, you're doing double work that was already done. You don't need to walk in guilt. That's already gone. That's already been killed. That's already been executed. So why don't you just take your guilt and put it back where it belongs on the shoulders of one stronger than you, the Messiah, King Jesus. He's a good king. Ain't no other king going to do that for you. Here's a second one. You get new peace of identity. So are, are we saying this? We need to ask. You see the war and the peace? I need to ask, oh, Lord, give me a broken heart for sin and give me a leap in celebration for the awesome forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I thought I'd get a bigger round of applause for that leap. Man. This church, you can get some more hot cocoa or something. Here's the second one. 
You get new piece of identity. You get new piece of identity. Oh, man, I'm so glad. Oh, my word. I'm so glad that my value is not based on what I get done or what kind of success or failure I have. And this is where we get to trade this. And this is what the world doesn't know about. The world is enamored. They're enamored with, hey, man, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to be this awesome. I'm going to be known for this. This is how I'm going to make my mark. This is how they're all going to see it. This is how they'll finally understand. And the world's just so enamored by this. And that stuff can just roll right off of us because my value has been already approved by the Lord. He says, I've already just decided you're valuable. It's not because you did anything. It's not because you did anything to prove your value. In fact, if you want to know the truth, if you did anything, you did the opposite. (laughs) Your deeds have proven that by rights, you should be flung into hell. But I've decided because of my great love, I don't want that. I want you close. And so it's war and it's peace. You don't have to fight the fight of trying to prove your value. And I know you know that, but I know that we all probably need to spend 2021 thinking about that more because we're going to find this year I'm going to try to do this, that, or the other thing. Maybe do it all you want, but focus more than that. If you just focus more on God thinks I'm awesome. God thinks I'm special. God like looks at me like I'm the apple of his eye, just like he says he does. He puts me on his knee and he says, I delight in you. That's what your God says. And so you just don't need to fight the fight of having to prove yourself. That's a piece you only get in Jesus. When I was probably about, gosh, I must have been 12 years old. I had recently won a couple fights at school, okay? So I, I was a little bit scrappy and a little bit mouthy, okay? So that's where this story starts. Um, so we were in, I was with a couple buddies, and we were in this movie theater. We were watching some 80s show, and, and uh, there was some guys behind us that were bigger than all of us. But, man, I was like, I just won a couple fights, all right? So, you know, they said something, I mouthed back, and I'm like, you guys want to go? Let's go. You know, so after the movie, like, we're going to go fight. Now, my entire expectation of that interaction was based on the presupposition that my friends were going to have my back in that moment, okay? They didn't. So this is all my fault, but anyway, we ended up, I should say, I ended up losing the fight. And as I'm walking away from that interaction, thinking about the new friends I'm going to get, I'm thinking, wow, I didn't even need to get in that fight. Like, I, that was my fault. I caused that fight, and I lost it. Hey, you don't need, there's fights you just don't even need to get. Yes, it's a fight, but there's fights you don't even need to get into. You don't need to get in the worth and value fight. You don't get, need to get in the fight of proving yourself to anybody. You don't need to get, get, you don't need to get in the fight of demonstrating to the rest of the world how incredible you are or that you have any incredibleness at all because God has already said he already won the fight for you when he died in your place. Come on, somebody. Man, this is a gospel one today. Hey, because of Jesus' peace, there's just fights you don't need to get into. You do not need to prove yourself because you are the treasure of heaven. Here's the last one. You get new peace for anxiety. You get new peace for anxiety. See, when we're, when we're not in Christ, when we haven't accepted the king, our peace is often very much related to how it's going. How's it going? How's the circumstance? If you have money, it's, it's how much do you have? How much do you not have? Do you have debt? How much do you have? My peace is related to that. Are you doing good with all your relationships? Do you have enough relationships? How are you doing with that? If you're, if, if you're not walking in Jesus' peace, then your peace can only be based on those things. However, if you're walking in the peace of God, you know that, hey man, my true health 
is not even here. My true wealth is not even in my pockets or in my bank account or in my investments. That's not my true wealth. Um, My true meaning, my true importance, my true identity, that can't really be touched because it's hidden in God with Christ. Um, The things that I really should think are important, like my justification and my identity in the master and my glorification and all the gifts and treasures that are mine in Christ, can't nobody touch that? Can't nobody get to that? Dude, that's permanently mine forever. And so I can have, if I decide to, if I want to get determined and decide I'm going to have my peace in the things of heaven instead of things of the earth, then I can do that if I make a determined decision to do it. Now, why don't people do it? I think because they don't, they don't decide to. Like, they don't make a quality decision to. They're still hoping they'll fall into joy and peace. Instead of deciding, it is mine, I'm determined to take it. The Old Testament is full of exhortations by God saying, remember what I did here. Remember what I did here. Remember what I did here. Sometimes it's a thousand years later, and the Lord's telling the Israelites, don't you remember what I did back then? And and I'd be like, you're going to hold them accountable for a thousand years ago? He's like, yeah, remember what I did but we don't recall what God did in our own lives. Like, here's, here's what I'd probably know. A year ago, if you were praying, you were praying about something, and I'll bet you you've forgotten some of what you were praying about. And it might have even been a big deal. But it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot that God came through on that way. Yeah, well, if we will decide to remember, tell somebody, decide to remember. Yeah, you're not going to fall into it. We make a quality decision. See, it's not that people wanted to forget, they just didn't decide to remember. They just didn't plan ahead of time. They're like, I bet you there's trials in the future. I'm going to write some things down about how God delivered me. Because then as we're reviewing what God did, it makes it a whole lot easier to access his peace. I've told people this. I've told you this probably, I'm sure, a hundred times. But, you know, now that I've got some younger Christians that ask me from time to time, man, how do you, like, how are you, how are you doing this? How are you just full of joy and how are you still believing? And I'm like, bro, because I've been walking with God for more than a couple decades now. And there's just thing after thing after thing after thing where God ended up being God. Like, he just did it. And so you, you can't have that when you're two years into the Lord. Like, you just don't have, the, you don't have the testimony yet. And you will, but you just don't yet. Just keep watching God. But then pay attention and remember when he does stuff because that's what he's going to do next. That's how it's going to go. I think one other reason is because we're, we're too focused on this world. Let me get real straight with you. Okay, are you ready? Here's what I hear from from this precious generation that Jesus loves. They're so interested in authenticity, they can't do wisdom. Okay, like when God says, do not fear, they'll say, well, you know, there are things to fear though. That's why he said, do not fear. That's why he says, decide that you're going to walk in scriptural wisdom. Don't just tell me, well, well, Jesus, there's always an asterisk. If Jesus was here, would you tell him that there's an asterisk? How about instead of your asterisk, you just say, I'm believing God. That's what I'm doing. I'm believing God. You're telling me that, that everything's going to fall into hell? I'm believing God. How about that? How about because that's what Christians do? How about because that's what the Bible says to do? Don't give me all this like worldly wisdom. Well, you know, there's a case that you just need to empathize with this. How about just believe God's word? How about that? If you want some victory, why don't you do the book and see what happens? Man, y'all pulling it out of me today. 
So we're not heavenly minded enough. Listen, Colossians 3.1. Because we're news junkies. Go ahead and slap somebody say news junkies. Yeah, it's the new form of alcoholism. Yeah, it's real, okay? It jacks up your brain because people get addicted to it. And now you're meditating on all the wrong things. Listen, the apostle already told us what to meditate on. Check it out, Colossians 3.1. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. It didn't say, think about the news. Think about all the problems in the world. That'll probably help. No. Think about where you're going. Think about how much better it is there. You don't need to think. I think there's a department in hell where there's devils that just brainstorm all day. Now, how do we distract them? What do we got that's shiny or, you know, like really imposing? What can we put on the news that'll just get everybody, oh, let's talk about this or let's talk about it. They didn't wear their mask and they went to the restaurant. Why don't you focus on heaven? Why don't you think about where you're going? Okay, because all this stuff is going to end. I'm not trying to project this on you, but one of the things I've just really grown to love in my adult life is studying history. And one of the things, like the, the benefit I didn't see coming is, as I've just, and I'm, you know, I'm no expert or anything, but it's just it's a hobby, it's something I love to do. And as you familiar, familiarize yourself with history, you find out, wow, ain't nothing new happening. It's all happened like seven times before. And everybody, they figured it out then and then they forgot. And then we did the stupid thing again. And, and yeah, like there's new inventions, but it's still not, there's nothing really new. Humans keep doing the same stupid stuff. I've had tremendous peace during 2021 because I'm like, yeah, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's been a lot of plagues before, and this might be our best one, just so you know, like in terms of like how we've handled it, it might be the best one. And it doesn't bother me because that's how it, this is earth, okay? There's wicked people in power, and then sometimes there's great people in power, and people do amazingly noble things, and people do sinisterly wicked things. That's where we are. And once we just like normalize that, earth becomes really boring. Like, oh yeah, uh uh-huh. This is not a surprise. But you know what becomes incredibly more interesting? Is where you're going. Where none of this stuff is happening. But there's the real days. And so I don't know if if you've ever found joy in this. It's fun for me just to think about heaven. Like think about my friends that are there. And think, oh man, what's that? What's going on there? And I wonder what conversations they're having. I wonder what kind of restaurants are in heaven, man. That's got to be dope. You know? And do they have like lion waiters or something? Like, what do they have? You know? Does a dolphin like come up and like bring you something, you know, some kind of sea cookies? I don't know, you know? But there's, there's just all kinds of, wow. And as you read about it and you study heaven, you think about, you just imagine what culture is like that isn't tainted by sin. Gosh, well, how much fun are they having? Like, what's a party like? You know, when all you can do is just be happy and everyone else is happy and then it just keeps snowballing upward. Like, what's that like? And plus Jesus is there and all the wisdom of the ages. Wow. And that's like an hour. You know what I'm saying? That becomes way more interesting if we will obey the word and start to think about that kind of stuff. Let me give you two resources that you might be familiar with. One is called Heaven by Randy Alcorn and one is called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. I've talked about both of these before. The Randy Elkhorn one is probably the more theologically precise one. It's really good, though. Stuff about heaven you never knew. And imagine heaven is going to tap your imagination a little bit more. But, dude, it is an amazing spiritual practice to just obey Colossians 3.1. one. be like, wow, I'm just going to meditate on heaven. And suddenly, you have a lot more peace. It's kind of like, now my family hasn't gone on vacation in a while, but when we know we're going on vacation... It makes everything less weary. 
makes everything lighter. Because we're like, well, I mean, it was a hard day, but I can't wait till we're on vacation. Isn't that going to be great? Because we're imagining ourselves on vacation. And so this day is a little easier. When we imagine ourselves in heaven, it makes this fight a little easier because it won't be long. It won't be long and we're there. I don't want to gross you out, but it's kind of like when you have to go to the bathroom and you're driving home or you're being driven home and you're like five minutes away, but you're like, oh, you're literally praying like, Lord, get me through, get me through. And we'll just say it's number one because I don't want to give anybody PTSD, but, but you, you're like, oh, I can't wait. But you know why, why you're so excited to get home. Because, baby, once you get home, relief is finally there. Well, that's the attitude that we need to have about heaven. I'm almost there. This is rough. This is rough. But we're almost there. It is almost done. We're almost back home. The more we meditate on heaven, the more peace we'll access that is already ours. I started with this verse. 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. But let's listen to the next verse. So don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Verse 13. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have one, the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. That's not only in the future. I believe there's bits of his glory that we see right now if we will prepare our minds for battle, if we will accept there is awesome peace that the world does not know, it is in the context of a war that I cannot stop or legitimately expect to just die down. And it's in the midst of that weariness, while I'm weary, that's when we rejoice. Let's pray. God, what amazing promises. Thank you for the hope that is ours. Thank you, Jesus, for deciding that we were worth it and coming and dying on the cross, making the trip, emptying yourself so that we could be filled with you. Lord, I want to pray for this family right now. I pray that you strengthen everyone with clear eyes. I pray we would have hearts that are full of power and strength and your love. I pray for a fresh Holy Spirit wind to fill everyone's sails. Lord, I pray even in the midst of dark despair that we would have hope that the war is almost over, that this thing is almost done. God, give us eyes to see those around us who there's still time to build up and encourage and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe? Share it with your friends. Click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.